Rewind with Oshin Langan. Glory, Kelly, one more! It's all over! It's all over! It's in the stadium! And Claire has come from nowhere to win the Adios National League title! It towards Zajiru, breaks to Sanchez! And he's equalised! Alexis Sanchez combines with Giroud and it's Man City 2, Arsenal 2. We have the best results against the top four teams, so uh, that doesn't come without character. Still Stephen Davis going for his Southampton second. Oh, oh and he gets it! Southampton lead at White Hart Lane! I think we need to think in, in us, uh, to look us and, and not to, to see the, the our neighbour for uh, growing up and for be better and be and to, uh, every season to try to fight for the top, uh, we need to, to see us and try to prove. No, don't care about don't care about Arsenal. The most important thing is getting that home semi-final. Um, I mean, we set out before the game to get the home semi-final, and uh, we backed ourselves, and that's the outcome that we got. This is the rewind on news talk. Coming up more on all of that, including Paddy Mulligan on the Premier League and Euro 2016 build-up, as well as the SSE. Electricity League. Robbie Keane scored twice for LA Galaxy overnight. It was his first game since March. We'll be talking to Paddy about whether or not he should go to Euro 2016 and if he does will he be an impact sub or a starter. We've got three out of four Irish provinces in the Pro 12 semi-finals. Munster by the way sealed their place in the Champions Cup next season. You heard from Kieran Marmion in the intro there. He's the Connacht scrum half. They had a good win against Warriors. They host the same opposition in the semis in two weeks. We also talk about the little Ladies Football League finals. A great weekend also, by the way, in rowing for Ireland. At the European Championships, Paul and Gary O'Donovan claimed gold in the lightweight double skulls, while Sunita Paspor finished third in the women's singles skulls final. And we'll hear from the brothers a little bit later on. Ahead of the Olympics in the mixed relay at the modern pentathlon World Cup event in Florida, Arthur Lanigan O'Keefe and Natalia Coyle won gold. You can get more on both of those uh, wins for Ireland on our website, newstalk.com forward slash sport. First though, what a game in Thurlis as Claire Pip Waterford by a point in the Allianz League final replay. The analysis of Irish independent GAA writer and former Offaly hurler Michael Verney in a moment. But first, here's how the end of the game played out on WLRFM in Waterford with Kieran O'Connor and former Dacia captain Fergal Hartley and Claire FM with Derek Lynch and former Clare hurler Niall Gilligan. Different uh, emotions expressed by both sets of commentary teams towards the end of the game. 123 to 219, the final score. And uh, this is how it finished. There's also analysis from both squads and James O'Connor in this. Uh, well worth a listen, though. So Stephen O'Keefe with the puck out. One and a half minutes gone of injury time. Going high is the chairman. Connor Cleary, he wins that ball. But snapped out of here by Jamie. Brilliant play by Jamie. As good as a free, but play on, says the referee. Inside the clear 65. Desperate situation. Tony Kelly hits the ground. Was he fouled? That seemed a very cheap free. But we, we had to have a free for Jamie Barron. Just Jamie Barron was just clobbered like up before that. Play on, says the referee. Jamie wins the ball. And Tony Kelly... We'll go back or will Colin Ryan take it? It's inside their own 65. I think Derek is incensed. I can see him on the line. Derek is incensed and he's rightly so to be incensed. He's right to be incensed. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, this should be a free into Warford and it should be a point and now this is potentially the equalising score from Tony Kelly. Kelly, it's on its way. Tony Kelly has he levelled it up. Tony Kelly has levelled the Alliance National Hurling League final with an absolute monster free from his own 65-yard line. 
you take the good with the bad. If you won that game, we you won the game. We deserve to win that game. Definitely didn't deserve to lose that game today. What did you make of that call at the end? Jamie Barron didn't get a free, and Claire did, and Tony Kelly nailed it. It equalised the game. Yeah, it's just hard to take. Jamie Barron was, if you look at it again, I thought he was fouled personally. It's only my decision, my, my opinion. I thought he was definitely fouled there, and you know, all of a sudden, did the ball go wide above each other? And personally, I think it did. But look again. But the big decisions. We have lads, lads that are trained for eight to nine months and relying on decisions like that. Like, you know, it's heartbreaking. Stephen O'Keefe with the puck out. Referee is looking at his watch. The chairman win the ball. It's in the middle of the field. It's all down to clear now. They're on the attack. It's gone inside of 45. What can they do with a Tony Kelly from an impossible angle? Tony Kelly sends it over the bar and literally jumps up in the air and nearly into a down ring. Heartbreak for Waterford. Referee is looking at his watch. Is this the win for Clare? Yes, it is. Heartbreak for Derek McGrath and his men. And Tony Kelly sends it over the bar. Cruelness personified if ever I saw it. And that free will live long in the memory, Ferg. But yeah. we don't wish any ill on anybody. But definitely that call was a huge call. Yeah. And, then and Derek Curry magnanimous goes over to Davy, but look, Kieran, and we don't like all of us, you know, up here. You can hear the water, the water better in sense, and I feel rightly so. I mean, we don't like being up here criticising referees, but I just think he got it badly, badly wrong. I thought it was a mistake. So, um, but um, as I said previously. I think we made plenty of mistakes on the line ourselves. We make mistakes every day. All the players make mistakes. So any referee is entitled to make a mistake. And um, that's, that's my honest opinion. I actually thought I actually thought the free was wide as well on top of that, which is probably <laughs> it probably wasn't. But uh, you know maybe. It's, but but I thought it was a mistake on Dearman's behalf. But look, that's the way that's the way the game goes, and that's the I suppose the, the invariance of, of, of sport, if you like. And uh, I think Clare just came with the run at the the right time, and it was very hard to to quell it. I thought the majority of the game we were we were. I won't say we're in control because I thought it was a good game and, and there was elements of our play we were, we were delighted with. But um, as I said, I, I thought I thought it was a mistake. But I, I think, as I said, I, I qualified by saying that we made several mistakes on the field ourselves and on the line. And um, I think I don't think any referee went out to make to make a deliberate mistake. And Fitzgerald with a monster catch and now right on the first side goes back. Ball going to the ground. We're going back to see exactly where this is going to go. Kelly again. Kelly swings it. Kelly swings it. With 66 minutes left, you know, Watford were still, um, you know, three points to the good. Uh, but Clare just, you know, got the last four points and supposed to win it. It did end in controversy, though, because Watford were a point ahead. Um, you know, there was one of those tussles for possession. To me, it looked like a cast iron free on, you know, for a foul on Jamie Barron. Uh, the referee didn't give it. Tony Gilly ended up with the ball in his hand. He was fouled. Dan Shanahan and, and uh, Derek McGrath went apoplectic on the line. Kelly, I suppose, you know, nailed the free from inside his own 65 to level it. And I suppose seconds later then, um, I think it was David David Reedy or uh, or Carl O'Connell set up Kelly down along the far sideline. And you knew from the roar from the clear supporters behind him that he'd bisected the post to win it. And again, uh, Jim McCurran blew it up on the puck out in the 73rd minute. So, Clare... I suppose huge credit to them for, for, for keeping their heads staying with it um, but Watford would be bitterly disappointed and they have every right to be so given as I said that it really to me looked like a cast iron free on Jamie Barron which you know the way Pat Curran was, was slotting the freeze would have given them a, a two point cushion and they'd have held out from there
And the good thing is they do it all again on June 5th in the Munster Championship. Clare winning by a point. Yesterday in there you heard from the WLRFM commentary team of Kieran O'Connor and former Waterford captain Fergal Hartley. And uh, the overly excited voice you heard was Derek Lynch of Clare FM. And why not? What a dramatic game. If you can't get excited at that as a commentator, then what is the world coming to? James O'Connor was on analysis for off the ball. And uh, he, like everyone else, I think agrees that Jamie Barron should have had a free he didn't get the free and that's that. Dan Shanahan wasn't too pleased but uh, Derek McGrath was fairly magnanimous about the whole thing. Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and former Offaly Hurler. What did you make of it all? Yeah, I suppose these sort of decisions, it's probably, this sort of decision has probably been a while coming. The, with regards to the, to the spare hand in hurling, there's been a lot of kind of dubious calls and I suppose Dermot Corwin, if I, I can't actually remember who was holding on to or who had kind of grabbed Jamie Barron, but if it had been for a split second more, I'm sure the whistle would have been blown. But it all happened so quickly and the ball had been released and then Tony Kelly ended up getting the ball and he was fouled. You ca- would kind of have sympathy with Dermot Corwin. It's, these things happen so, so quick. And I'm sure he was probably ready to blow the whistle because everyone would acknowledge that it was a free. But just just at the split second when he was probably going to blow... The free actually wasn't been, you know, it wasn't a free anymore. So he kind of let the play develop. And then I suppose Tony was fouled and Tony put the ball over the bar. And I suppose it wouldn't have been too bad if it if it had been a draw and it went extra time. But the nature of it was that Clare won the next ball. And then Tony Kelly ended up putting over the winner as well. So his mistake, I suppose, is is really kind of magnified as a result. But this type of, this type of thing in Hurling is, is happening a lot with, with the spare hand. And there are a lot of frees dubious freeze and there are a lot of kind of I suppose very obvious freeze as well it's something that probably needs to be cut down on I know yeah. Don Logue had talked about it I talked about it in the Sunday game um, fairly regularly but I suppose it's kind of funny enough that, that one of his lads were actually the ones that were doing the fouling but yeah I, I would have some sympathy for Dermot Carwin but I suppose every, it all gets magnified just because it was at the end of the game I think he had a, a pretty good game up to that but I suppose those calls really turn games don't they was Tony Kelly fouled for his free? We know that Jamie Barron was. And look, these things happened. The ref didn't give it. Derek McGrath said mistakes occur all over the field and on the sideline and on the pitch. So he's actually fairly forgiving. But uh, was Tony Kelly fouled then afterwards? Did that kind of make it even worse for Waterford? Was it salt in the wound? Yeah, well, I tell you what, if, if I had been the one that he kind of ran into, I'd be, I'd be going nuts myself because, no, I don't think it was a free... He, he was, you could say maybe that he was, someone was just basically standing in front of him as a roadblock, but essentially Tony Kelly kind of ran into them and kind of, I suppose, fell to the ground without putting, you know, without saying it in any other way, really. But that that's kind of the way it is. Like, maybe during the game, that sort, that sort of a free probably wouldn't have been blown during the game, but, you know, tensions are so high and, you know, crowds are going absolutely nuts and there's so much pressure on. And I suppose it was cute, like, it was cuteness. Yeah, you have to say that. Tony Kelly probably knew that a free needed to be won. Time was time was running out, I suppose, at that stage. He was probably going to find a hard, given the amount of bodies that were around him, he's going to find a hard to get a hand pass out to anybody else. So it, it was clever. Was it a free? No, I don't think so. I suppose we're concentrating on those calls when really we need to talk about the full 73 minutes. Um, as compared to last week, or especially compared to last week, what a game of hurling. Yeah, we're we're very quick, you know, to say that that hurling has changed, and you know, it's a crisis situation, and things like that. I suppose we're probably probably basing that on just the league final because the two league semi finals were two outstanding games, and then you know, a week later, a week after, everybody I suppose reading, nearly reading out like hurling's epitaph, we have this unbelievable game, and it's it, it's funny. 
people talk about the systems and sweepers and things like that. Yeah. But after maybe 15, 16 seconds, I think it was either Jamie Barron or Philip Mann, he just let in a ball from the middle of the field over his shoulder without looking. And it led to Patrick Curran's goal. And that just spawns a completely different game. You know, when things when when someone gets a goal in the first minute, it immediately sets a completely different tone. The crowd was completely different. They were immediately thinking, Okay, we're gonna get something completely different here. And it was just it was a brilliant game of hurling and the fact yeah. that the fact that Clare were able to stay in the game, you know, they were on the ropes and they were pushed back in the ropes, but they managed to stay vertical when maybe other teams, probably Barron Kilkenny, wouldn't have been able to do that. And they they left themselves in with the opportunity for the smash and grab at the end, it looked unlikely. You wouldn't have you wouldn't have bet on Clare getting three points in a row at the end. But they left themselves in the position where it was possible to do that. And I suppose when they, when they needed them, like even when when get the game was going against them in the first half, Tony Kelly was just outstanding, and he just he stood up and took the game with a scruff of the neck. He he did you know that's exactly what you want your leaders to do. And I suppose. When Conor McGrath and Colin Ryan had missed a couple of frees, and I know Davey said that he he made the call himself for Tony did the free, and I remember Tony doing that in a uh, Fitzgibbon final for UL last year as well. When you know when a lot of things were probably going wrong for him at the time, and he just stood up, took the game with a scruff of the neck, and and it was brilliant. And he popped up then, probably about a hundred yards away on the far side of the field to go over the winner, and you know that's that's what it's all about, and that's what hurling can be, and it was a fantastic game of hurling from start to finish. And there's so many things to talk about when reflecting on this game. Um, what about the fact that it was just a better game and there was more scores and there was more attacking play? What do you put that down to? Was it that the managers maybe spread their players out a bit more? Was it the fact that they'd got kind of used to each other and they were able to have a bit more of a rattle off each other? Colin Ryan said it to me afterwards. Look, we hadn't played Waterford in a long, long time. So last week that had an effect and probably a negative one in a score sense. Uh, but yesterday it was kind of more straightforward and they both had to go at each other yeah I suppose when you haven't played a team in a while there's this kind of feeling out process you're probably you're going to be cautious you're going to it's going to be safety first probably and that's probably what we saw the first week whereas you know yesterday there was definitely there was definitely a small a system change most of the time when you were looking out in the field there were four to five forwards in each forward line which you cannot, you couldn't say we've seen that the week before because mm. you know we had maybe one or two. Why do you think they lucky. did that yesterday, Michael, and, and they didn't do it last week? And I suppose the follow-on question to that is: Will we see something in between when they meet in the championship? Yeah, I, I suppose neither team. You want to, um, you, you are, they're obviously not keen on giving away their tactics for for June fifth, but we are. We're getting like. That, the previous week was five weeks. This is four weeks. We are getting closer. You're, you're going to. They're not just going to radically change and have a completely different plan on June fifth. So we are getting closer. So I think yesterday we came a good bit closer to what we're going to see on June fifth. Will it be the exact same as we saw yesterday? No. It's probably going to be some sort of a middle ground, as you said yourself. Mm. There could be maybe three or four forwards up. Um, I, I just on that. Waterford will have learned so much about, in particular, in about about Tony Kelly and about what he can do. I suppose they knew what he could do, but they hadn't seen it maybe firsthand themselves. I would expect, I would expect somebody to maybe trail him for the seventy minutes. While that's probably not the most uh, glamorous job in the world, seeing that the impact that he can have when he's given that bit of space, he's so clever at finding space, and I just. I, I wouldn't imagine Waterford will give him the free reign that they did yesterday. I think someone will be a lot tighter on him 
Um, that's what makes it so intriguing. And Waterford will feel, you know, Waterford will feel hard done by. They were, you know, two points up going into injury time and they ended up on the losing side. And I, while Pete, some people said beforehand that the winner would have all the momentum, I, I don't see it that way. These teams are so evenly matched. Waterford, you know, got, got one over on, or Claire got one over on them yesterday. But like Watford will feel very hard done by, and I'm sure yeah. it's such a it's such a small swing, isn't it? Like one or two things either way, and Watford were champions yesterday, and it, it's just it's just really it's really a kind of tantalising prospect for June fifth. Derek McGrath was asked after the game if yesterday's loss and the manner of it, the fact that there there was that controversial call at the end from Dermot Kerwin, will spur them on for the championship encounter, and uh, this is what he had to say. The day of psychological advantage is based on the feeling that you are you didn't get the decision or otherwise. I think that's gone. Like, and, and let's, let's be honest. In Watford, for long enough, we've clung to decisions or blaming referees or blaming everything. Bar, bar the reality is that the team came at the right time, and you know we're trying to create a different culture where we're not playing the blame game. The reality is, Clare won the game because they came with with, with important scores at the right time, and that's the that's the reason, you know. So interesting yeah. comments there, Michael, from Derek McGrath. He has said basically, look, bitterness is not something that will drive them and that uh, Waterford have tried that in the past and it doesn't work. And he's probably right. Yeah, bitterness, that we, I wouldn't, it can't be your main focal point, but it is always good to have a little chip on your shoulder. There's, there's never anything wrong with it. I would always say that the GA mentality is that you do need to have a little small chip on your shoulder. But for, you know, for 71, 72 minutes nearly yesterday, they were they were you know the better team marginally fair enough but but they were the better team and I'll just think Derek will just see some little small little areas that they can improve on and if they can improve on them they'd want to get you know Shane Bennett into the game a bit more they want to get maybe the likes of Kevin Moore into the game a bit more but they, they did some outstanding displays yesterday the likes of Tyg de Borka Jamie Barron was brilliant yesterday as well Patrick Curran really stood up particularly in the first half. When he when he was really needed, I suppose after hitting after hitting some bad frees the previous day, he really stood up again yesterday. Uh, Derek, they would while they'd be very disappointed with the result, they can't have any qualms with performance. That was a really really good performance, and you know it's funny they were I think they were six points up before Tony Kelly got that goal, and I think they'll just try and maybe close it out a bit better and in injury time as well. Maybe Stephen O'Keefe probably poked the ball out a bit too quickly after Tony Kelly's point. I know you're kind of you're. How should I say? You're, you don't really like, you kind of lose yourself in the moment, maybe, and that was when a calm head was needed. You know, that was when you know you, you put the ball away, maybe, and you take ten or fifteen seconds and just let everything calm down again. But and I think they will learn a lot from that. Um, yeah, the championship game is just it, it really just tees up the whole championship yep. now. While everything was doom and gloom kind of the week before, this is the game that we wanted. It's it's all that felt like a championship game yesterday. And yep. while we were short on maybe brilliant championship games last year, Baron the All Ireland semi final, everything is teed up now perfectly for the championship. And everyone will be looking will have been looking at that yesterday and you know itching to get out there on the field. Michael, you sound like a kid at Christmas. You're that excited about uh, yesterday's game and why not? And we've got the championship to come as well. And of course, it's already underway in Leinster. We'll get to that in a second. But before we do, what about Clare? It's a first major honour since they won the All-Ireland in 2013. I know they won the Munster League this year, but as Davy himself said, look, that's the Atlantic Ocean away from the championship. This is what Colin Ryan had to say uh, when I put it to him after the game, that this was a title that they really needed. Keep in mind, uh, Ryan came off the bench and scored two frees yesterday. I don't know, you know, could you say we need it? We're going to take it. <laughs> like, you know, there's only there's only two national competitions every year. And, um, you know, we have our hands on one of them now, and we're absolutely thrilled with that. Um, 
like careers are short you know we're not blessed to have medals every year I suppose like Kilkenny and stuff like that we're just going to look back take it um, anytime you get an opportunity to take, put, get your hands on one and take it we'll take it and that's all today was about that's all last week was about I don't think there was any mind games as you could see out there with the wall for, you know both teams were going at it both teams wanted a win and luckily enough we got there in the end so he sounds glad to have it but it wasn't absolutely necessary is what Ryan is saying there Michael I think I think it was fairly necessary Ushin, to be honest with you um, when you know they obviously you know scaled the mountain in 2013 but when you haven't won games when you haven't won tight games in particular and when you haven't won a title it means so much they're they're unbeaten in 2016 still the momentum they have is unbelievable you know all Don Lowe coming in Paul Kinnert coming back uh, Podge Collins coming back on the scene, all everything just is is perfect in Clare at the moment. You know, they must be so happy. They'll be still have that spring in their step going back training, and it just means like the sacrifices that an intercounty hurler or any intercounty player in general are making. You know, they're a huge yeah. commitment, but everything is vilified and justified when you win, and it's such small margins like that as well. But when you win, it's all justified. I'm sure Davy can say now everything we're doing is worth it. You know all these little small things that we're doing, all the analysis, all the training, all the drills, everything that we're doing, diet, weights, all it's all worth it at the moment. And that was needed, particularly for a team. You know they must have been down in confidence. They must have been down in confidence the last couple of years, and this is huge for them. And at the end of the day, four four wins and they'll be all Ireland champions, and that's the way they will be looking at it. It's it's a long way away. But four more wins yeah. and they'll be all Ireland champions. One win a month, basically, and they'll have Lee McCarthy back again. And they meet Waterford on June fifth at Turles when Hawkeye will be up and running. It's uh, due to be used first for Cork and Tip in the championship. Just before I let you go, uh, Michael, some ugly stuff in Offaly during the week. They got the win over the weekend. They desperately needed it. But after the game, Eamon Kelly told Midlands One Hundred Three Radio about some of the calls he got during the week. I suppose I don't ever want to. Get a week hack it again where you have cowards ringing you with private numbers and telling you what to think of you and the stuff I got thrown at me in social media. I know that goes at the terrain, but we're trying to do everything we can here and the players inside are like they're doing everything in their power. We have three lads walk from the panel with a comment like that they don't like where this thing is going and, and they don't want to be associated with it. But we, have, we what you have left in the dressing room there are very honest fellas and they're working very, very hard. And I'm not trying to point a finger on anyone, but we're I not find time trying to make because we're all trying to do the right thing. There's nobody in there cutting any corners. They're making huge efforts to, to do what they want to do. And we had a bad day at the office last week again in Westmead. We know that. But the only good thing about it is, I think Westmead be carried today. So our destiny is in our own hand here in two weeks' time. Whatever the results, whatever is going on, whatever is happening, it's terrible to hear that that's going on. A manager getting calls and crank calls. And um, it's kind of a su- stupid question to ask, Michael, because any sensible person knows how wrong it is. But what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I was in uh, I was in Tullamore on Saturday, Oshin. Yeah, it was uh, it was grim enough to be honest with you. The lads, the lads looked like they were kind of hurling with shackles on them almost. You know, balls that they should have been getting into their hand and maybe scores that they should have been taking that they weren't taking. It was huge pressure, but yeah. and I know Eamon must have released some amount of pressure after the game. I was just watching him and analysing him on the sideline. You know, he he poked every ball on Saturday and like I know from chatting the lads involved in the camp, I know that. They're all saying that it's you know it's the most professional camp that they've been involved with in a long, long time, and they needed they needed that result. But you know, people are very unforgiving, unfortunately, the GA. But there's no you know there's no you can't you can't justify 
people ringing, you know, managers and giving out. And I, I think three lads pulled off the panel because they said they didn't want to be involved with it or they didn't want to be associated with whatever the way, you know, the perception is about Offaly Hurling at the moment. But Eamon is doing, you know, Eamon is doing his best and I know the players are doing their best. The quality mightn't be there at the moment, unfortunately. But there's no... You cannot, when people are giving of their free time and putting in, I'd love for these people that are making these calls, and it's very cowardly, obviously, to be making calls off private numbers when nobody knows who you are. At least yeah. on social media, you, you have an idea of who the names are. Such a cowardly thing to do. They have no idea the time that is going into this. They have no idea of the sacrifices that these guys are making to play for their county. And I think that that's a sign of things in Offaly at the moment, like, it's it's probably no wonder that people won't go in. Some lads maybe don't commit to the panel when this kind of crack is going on. Like yep. you, you don't you don't need that. Like you don't. We're all everybody's trying to do their best for awfully hurling. You don't need that negativity. You don't need you know people giving out. There are some people, unfortunately, within awfully and within the county that that would have only been glad in a sense if they'd been beaten by Carlo the other day, so they could go off and rant and you know and yep. make these stupid calls again. Unfortunately, but at least awfully are in. They're in a position that I suppose they maybe didn't expect to be in but it all comes down to the Kerry game now and if you can get a win they're, they're going to end up in a good position in a Leinster quarter final against Leash Yeah and they at the very least have avoided the Christie Ring Cup due to that 117-211 to win over Carlo Shane Dooley scoring 110 he showed his importance Westmead also getting a win against Kerry 118-113 to I know you weren't at the game Michael but um, give us an assessment on Westmead because the talk during the week was how bad Offaly were and they were against Westmead but that's not to discredit Westmead and how they've performed and to go to Tralee and win ain't easy. No, that's a huge result for Westmead, you know. I just uh, reading Cyril Farr during the week and he said, uh, or on Saturday and he said that Westmead, you know, while the win against Offaly was great, they needed to, you know, cement that and announce that they had arrived by going down to Tralee and getting a win and that's a huge result especially they were four points down at half time but I believe, like just like they did against Offaly, they came out early in the second half and just blitzed Kerry completely, and the game was over pretty pretty soon. And West or Westmead have a really good defensive system in place. I think they conceded four points in the second half, four four or five points in the second half, which is which is huge. Like, and this is coming on the back of you know they've only conceded two goals. I think in over six hundred minutes of league and round robin hurling so far they've they've made huge progress and the likes of Tommy Doyle and Owen Price and Nigel O'Brien and these guys they're seriously talented hurlers and they're in a really really good position now that I know they play Carlo in the last game that I hope they'll probably go three for three in the round robin I do think it's a funny situation yeah where they're going to be rewarded in, in inverted commas rewarded for finishing top of the round robin by playing Galway which is really uh, you know it's a, it's a crazy scenario really OK, Michael Verney of the Irish Independent and former Offaly Hurler, thanks for joining us once again on the Rewind podcast here on News Talk. Thanks very much, Oshin. Appreciate it. So what a weekend it was for Clare and indeed the Hurlers of Westmeath who won their second match in the Round Robin series in Leinster. They're guaranteed a quarter-final spot. And as Michael said there, it seems ridiculous that if you finish first, you get Galway. If you finish second, you get Leash. Now, it was a good weekend for the footballers of Cork, Donegal and Waterford, who won the Division 1, 2 and 3 Ladies Little Football League titles. A Cork beat Mayo in the Division 1 final on Saturday, 110 to 10 points, the final score. At the evening, Echoes Mary White was at Parnell Park for that game. Mary, Cork winning a title is not unusual. However, it was a title won for the first time without Eamon Ryan. That's right, yeah, and a first for a new man, Efi Fitzgerald. Um, I suppose there's a lot of similarities between EFI's first season in charge and Eamon Ryan's first season in charge um, back in 2004. 
Uh, just like Ify this year, Cork suffered three losses, yet they went on to reach a league final. But I suppose what Ify achieved in its first year, and Ryan actually didn't achieve because they lost to Mayo in the 2004 National League final. But on Saturday night in Parnell Park, um, Ify, I suppose, had won better than the, the greatest man of all, I suppose you could say. Um, and he got his first title, which was fantastic. And it was a controlled display for large parts of the game. They didn't look like they were doing too much different to what they were doing under him. And I guess if it don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and he hasn't. To be fair to him, I, I suppose um, easy to to his credit is, you know, he kept on uh, Bridget O'Brien, Pat O'Leary and Frankie Honahan from Eamon's uh, management team and I think that has helped him massively. He hasn't changed much. Um, he's raving about the players' attitudes, I suppose, and how hard they work. And as you say, he didn't he didn't go in and start stamping his authority on anything. He just went about his business and, and they're getting the job done. But I suppose on Saturday against Mayo, there was a lot of cool heads, a lot of experienced heads, like Deirdre O'Reilly, Breed Stack, um, Kiro Sullivan. You know, they got it done. And obviously there's the dual players, Breed Corkery and Rena Buckley, who had to go out on Sunday afternoon and play a Monster Championship semi-final with the Cork Camogie team along with Hannah Looney. Um, but as you say, yeah, Evie, um, you know, he's he's got the job done. Um, Mayo had a lot of possession inside the 45, but they didn't use it well enough at times. If you're looking at that from a Cork point of view, do you look and say, well, have we stopped them from using it well? Or do you look and say, right, there's still things to work on defensively? Um, I, I think defensively they were absolutely fantastic. Um, I think probably offensively is probably where Cork would probably be wearing, would be looking come championship now against uh, Watford on Saturday. Um, obviously you have correspondent, you know, you know, in her 22nd year playing senior inter-county uh, football, which is just phenomenal stuff altogether. And I suppose last season she probably had the best season of her life this this league campaign as well she's been outstanding um, but I think Cork just completely closed them down you know they Mayo I think would probably be disappointed they would think that they were wasteful you know they had two or three goal chances that um, went wide um, and another number of chances fell into Martino O'Brien's hands so I think from a Mayo point of view they'd be very disappointed that they didn't play up to their ability but I think defensively Cork absolutely had their homework done they had bodies behind the line as well and I suppose the goal by Ronan Nivukla on the 10th minute for Cork was the difference on the day. The Division 2 final on before it, uh, Donegal beating Westmead and McGonagall, their corner forward, looks something special, doesn't she? Definitely, yeah. I think she finished with 2-5 and then their their entire full forward line had 3-12 between them, between uh, Jerry McLaughlin had six points and then Amber Barrett had 1-2. Um, you know, there's a great... That's a great story, you know. They've they're now promoted to Division One, and their their manager Michael Nocton, I think, checked himself out of Letterkenny General Hospital on, on the night before the match to make sure he was there to see that they got the job done, you know. And you know, the only golly so have had their tough times over the years. They had that uh, hammering against Cork a number of years back. Um, they were down a number of players that day. I think due to family wedding, I think they were missing seven of their starting team that day. So it's great to see them back in the Premier Flight as well. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't happen on the day for Westmead. Um, but as I say, it's fantastic to see a northern team joining the likes of Armagh um, in Division 1 for next season. Mary, you mentioned that uh, up next for Cork are Waterford. Waterford, the Division 3 champions. And they're coming off a fantastic 2015 that saw them win the All-Ireland Intermediate Ladies Football title. They collected the Camogie uh, crown at the same grade as well. Um, for Waterford, it's been a long road back because people forget that in the 90s, they were a real, if not dominant force, but you know certainly 
one that was always capable of capturing an All-Ireland and, uh, and, and certainly took one or two. Yeah, um, there's massive history, I suppose, along with Mayo um, and Waterford, they would have been the kind of king things of ladies football, you know, when it was kind of really kind of starting to take off in the 90s. Um, they've had fantastic role models, I suppose, all the Ryans down there as well, and their father, Michael Ryan, you know, he's been, he's played a huge part in, in Waterford ladies football, you know, and I suppose if anyone watching the, the game yesterday in TG Carr against Tipperary, the Division uh, 3 final replay, um, it was an absolute cracker, and of course, Maria Del Hunty kicked over the winning free off the ground, and and the place went nuts. And uh, Coach Pat Sullivan went, you know, ballistic as well. But I suppose it's interesting to note that, uh, you know, I think when they meet Cork, it'll be the first time in a number of years that Waterford have played against Cork in the Munster Senior Championship. So it'll be a tough task for them. So you're looking at the 2015 Intermediate All Ireland Champions of Waterford up against the 2015 Senior. Um, All-Ireland champions and Pat O'Sullivan on the line next to him will have a former Cork senior selector Noel O'Connor so that'll be interesting as well when he returns to Fermoy against uh, against his old, his old gang you know but it, it'll prove a, an interesting matchup all right in Fermoy on a Saturday at half one Waterford are going to have to take their chances better than they did against Tip especially in the second half yesterday I mean it was fantastic for Maria Delahunty to absolutely nail that free but they could have had three or four goals before that. Yeah, they could have. Um, I, I, and I suppose, again, probably their defence probably, you know, came up trumps as well. Um, I suppose that might even, you know, kind of signal to how defensive maybe ladies football is getting. Maybe not not, not mm. in a negative way, but just how good, you know, blocking has become. I mean, there is an, an exceptional display by Deirdre Riley on Saturday night, uh, you know, for Cork against Mayo, just, you know, bodies on the line completely. And I suppose uh, teams are probably getting their act together in that sense. And um, when you look at the fact that, uh, Linda Wall got played the match yesterday for Waterford as well, you know, the, the cornerback. Um, but yeah, Waterford are certainly going to have to take their chances. Unfortunately, I think their midfielder Louise Ryan went off with a serious knee injury yesterday. Uh, so I don't think, I, I doubt that she'll be around for the game on Saturday. But, um, you know, it'll be a big task against a, a really strong Cork defence um, at the minute um, on, on Saturday for Watford. But I've no doubt they'll relish going into it. You know, they'll be delighted to be back there as well. Kiro Sullivan will be out for Cork as well. She picked up a concussion on Saturday night. So look, best wishes to her. Just before I let you go, Mary, is early the best time to get Cork? Given the distractions that they have with so many dual players away, I appreciate Waterford have that as well. But um, generally when, when Cork lose games, it doesn't tend to be later in the year. It tends to be at this stage of the year. Yeah, I I think I suppose the fact that over the last decade they've been, you know, in an All Ireland final, so I think they tend to come back a, a little bit later than than other teams. Um, they come back in late January, maybe a week or two before the league, because uh, they take time out. And I suppose the last two or three years as well, you have Cork teams who are competing in All Ireland club finals in December, so the players need a break. So you know. I suppose there's a track record of peaking at the right time now, given that they've, you know, Saturday's win now, I think, is their 30th title in, in 12 years, you know, 10 All-Ireland titles, 10 Munster titles, and now 10 National League titles. And um, I think Rena Buckley and Breed Stack have actually played in every National League final as well since 2004 for Cork, which is just phenomenal. And especially when you look at the fact that Rena Buckley is a dual player as well. Yeah. Um, so I think early on in the year... Um, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably the best time to get them, all right. Well, the the better time, I would say. There's never a good time to get this Cork team, is there? They're a phenomenon, and the phenomenon continued at the weekend. Mary White of the Evening Echo, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Oshin.
Well, we'll stick with that Waterford team for the moment. Uh, they beat Tip in a very exciting game yesterday, as uh, Mary and I have just been speaking about. Uh, let's hear now from player of the match, Linda Wall. But first, the very modest Maria Dullahunty, who scored the winning point with literally the last kick of the game. It was a free from outside the 20-metre line on the right against the breeze in Thurles. But... Um, she was by no means looking for credit. I knew that every single player on our team would have kicked that shot over the bar. We deserve this win today. It's been coming with a, a good few years now, so it is, and we deserve it. A fair play to Tip, they gave us some game, and I wish them all the best then in the intermediate. I know they'll do it. Well. To get Waterford promotion to Division 2, the buzzer goes. Oh, she's absolutely nailed it, Maria Delahunty. What a moment for the young Abbeyside player. Waterford wins the Division 3 title and they get promotion with literally the last kick of the game. I know, um, no better woman than Maria Delahunty to stand up and kick it. She kicked the equaliser last week after extra time. So, I mean, I have no doubt that she's going to put it over. You know, we always have huge battles with Tipperary over the past five, six, seven years even. We've only come out, I think, you know, winners by a point or two or the other way around. So we knew that it was going to be a huge battle today and it definitely was. It looked like that you'd lost the chance because you had goal chance after goal chance and I didn't know. take any. Yeah. Where did the mental strength come from to stay in there, to, to get up, to get that free? We just wanted to get up the field and, and put the pressure on tip, you know. I kept kind of putting my head in my hands when we'd lose it around this sector or put it wide, but I had every faith in the girls, you know. You know, the tip defence are very strong and they were putting on the pressure, same way we were in the back. So I just think we wanted so much. We want to get up into Division 2 to be playing the senior team. We're up senior ourselves now. We really want to make a senior team out of ourselves and uh, that's where where the desire came from. Did that experience of winning an All-Ireland last year help? Because you looked composed even when those goal chances weren't going in. Yeah, definitely. You know, we just wanted not to panic. I think a bit of panic came in last week when, um, you know, Hopper got sin-binned and we lost Keneally for a while as well. So we just wanted to keep it calm and just know that we had the players and had the people to to push it on and get possession. The ball was the main thing and to really put the pressure on tip. So we had the finishers in the, in the end. You were part of a classic today. Well done. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic achievement by Waterford. What a display it was, although they butchered many goal chances. Uh, you heard me put that to uh, Linda Wall there, but uh, they still came through. Now, in rugby, Munster secured their Champions Cup ticket for next season with a win over Scarlets at the weekend, while Leinster will host Ulster in the Pro 12 semi-finals after they got wins at home to Treviso and uh, away to Ospreys, as in Leinster beat Treviso at home and Ulster won away to Ospreys. What a try, by the way, from Andrew Trimble in that game. He kicked it ahead, it bounced into his path and he finished it off. At that match, by the way, their semi-final takes place on Friday, May 20th at the RDS. Connacht playing the next night at home to Glasgow Warriors, the holders, on May 21st. Now, Connacht beat the Warriors at the weekend, uh, and that win set up that semi-final at home. After the match, Connacht scrum half Kieran Marmion spoke with Galway Bay FM's Rob Murphy. Yeah, and obviously the most important thing is getting that home semi-final. Um, I mean, we set out before the game to get the home semi-final and uh, we backed ourselves and that's the outcome that we got. Listening to the crowd at the end of the game, this it kind of meant more than just uh, making things easier to get to a final. The home advantage and how Connacht have done all season at this ground was very important to them and you guys, I'd say. Yeah, I think our results show that we've only lost one game at home this year. So obviously teams coming here, I mean, it's not a great place for them to come. Um, and that support behind us, how you could hear how loud it was out there today. And especially in a tight game like that, um, it really helps us round off the game. Is it a big step up today on some of the games you've had here in the past few months and maybe the season itself? Um, I, I think maybe the weather probably uh, 
stop that from being such a, a fast game. I mean, with two teams that play quite similarly. Um, I think we probably handled the conditions a bit better than they did. I mean, throughout the week it was dry, and but we knew what we were going to be faced with, so um, we had to prepare for that, and I think we prepared well. They started the second half very well and really struck back strongly. Yeah, obviously they probably had a few words at half-time. Um, we knew they were going to come out. We knew seven points probably wasn't going to win the game. Um, uh, we probably let them back in it and didn't take a few chances ourselves, but um, I think when we needed to take get the next score, we did, which is a um, big positive. There was a few visits to the 22 before that try that didn't yield the score. Did you feel a bit of pressure coming your way, especially since you kicked to the corner and the first line didn't work, that you had to convert at that stage? Yeah, I think it's just a bit disappointing, really, that we didn't take those opportunities. Um, I mean, in another game, that might cost us. Um, but we'll look at it in the review. <coughs> um, at least we're making those opportunities, you know. Um, against Treviso, we didn't take them and it cost us. But uh, hopefully we can look back at them and... Um, put them right for the next time we meet. There was a lot of little bits of after the ball. Obviously, there was the red card as well. Was it more feisty than the usual type of game? Well, I think it's just two teams that had so much at stake. Um, I mean, they were up for it and we were up for it and no one really wanted to take a backward step. So I think that's uh, what's to be expected, really. Joint top of the table, only just behind on the tiebreaker. It's an incredible season. Yeah, um, great season. Um, I mean, we've still got a few more games to, to play, hopefully, and uh, hopefully we can push on from here and make it an even better season. The week's break, is it welcomed, or would you like to be going into that semi-final next week? Um, well, I'd, well, for me, I wouldn't mind playing next week, but um, I guess a few of the lads were in Treviso last week, probably a few tired bodies but uh, we'll just see it as an opportunity to prepare even better and uh, hopefully we can um, go forward from there. Last question, can you get me a few extra tickets for this? <laughs> no, I can't, I can't get them myself. <laughs> Honorary Galway man Kieran Marmion after Connacht's win over Warriors at the weekend. That win actually sets up a home semi-final against the same opposition on Saturday week. Should be interesting. Now from an honorary Galway man on the Rewind podcast here on News Talk to an actual Galway man, Paddy Mulligan. And good afternoon to you too. And we'll keep it Connacht, Raf Diallo of Leitrim. Oh, hey. <laughs> Raf Diallo also of Team 33 and off the ball. Now, lads, before we get to the Premier League, which quite frankly is boring me at this stage, uh, what about... So it should, the team that you follow. Well, yeah, I know, yeah. but like... <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to get excited about the Champions League places. It kind of says a lot. Anyway, we'll, we'll come back to that in a second. It's, you very, wanted, it's well, very, very sad. Yeah, you wanted to come down to the wire. You want the relegation issues to be nail-biting. They don't appear to be. They, they might do. We'll see how Sunderland get on over the weekend. But look, we'll get to that in a second because my primary concern is it's Euro 2016. <laughs> aside from Waterford <laughs> Hurlers. Aside from that, it's Euro 2016. Robbie Keane came back for LA Galaxy uh, last night, scored two goals, his first appearance since March. So, Paddy... This might seem like a silly question, since he's the captain. No, coming from you, O'Shane, know, never yeah, a silly question. Don't be, silly. Don't be silly, O'Shane. How could you say that? Remember this moment, a silly question for me. Look, is <laughs> and it an no even bra- sillier answer. I know, yeah. Is it a no-brainer <laughs> that we take him? I think, well, I, I've, I've always felt he has to go. You know, no matter, and hopefully he's, he's in a playing capacity as opposed to just coming along and carrying the bags. But no, I think he's, I think he's very, very good for the, for the dressing room. But I mean, look, he's a proven goal scorer and has been hauled down the years. And and we don't have a proven goal scorer. Yes, Shane Long has done very very well with Southampton this year, but but uh, Robbie is the, is the is the main man, and I expect Robbie to be uh, in in the squad. Philip Quinn was on with off the ball yesterday for their Sunday paper uh, review. Philip Quinn of the Irish Daily Mail, and he said if you take him, you're likely not to be starting him, but 
what a guy to be able to bring in with 10 to 15 oh. minutes to go if you need a goal and as you say he is proven is that oh, the yeah. role that you it's, see yeah, it, 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 it'll be fabulous but if he goes he does play yes it'll be fabulous to have him even on the bench you know that, that'll be the whole purpose of the exercise you're not going to get 90 minutes out of Robbie Keane or even an hour out of Robbie Keane but I'll tell you what what he can do in 20-25 minutes you know it would be wonderful because he will he, he can get goals he, he, he's a proven goal scorer and he sniffs around that box and, and that's it and I, I'd, I'd have him in, in the squad all day long it's like that uh, Quinn actually mentioned the Liam Brady example from 1990 as well obviously Brady was left out and missed Euro 88 and you kind of think maybe in those tight games a player like that can make a difference now Robbie Keane's not the player he was but he's still our most natural finisher you know no doubt about that do we become a bit predictable though if teams know that's our go-to plan well not really like he's coming on at a time where like defenders are a little bit more tired their spaces are opening up a little bit on the pitch like so you I don't see well of course like he's not uh, you know tactically maybe yeah we're, we're we're always going to be easy quite easy to work out but you know when a kind of game reaches that stage 70 80 minutes uh, it's it's a little bit different so uh, I don't I don't really see that as being too predictable at all you know that's it's the, it's the it's up to the defenders to go and follow him around and that's not uh, that's not something easy to do he's got great intuition in, in around the 18 yard box as I mean people are, 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 are looking at Sunderland Jermaine Defoe was got, after getting 15 league goals in a very, very average, poor Sunderland side. Yep. And, and and again, he comes up trumps. And that's Robbie Kane. Robbie Kane will, 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 will get half a chance that no other, no other uh, uh, striker that we have in our squad would even see. And he'll get it and he'll finish it. And that's the, that's the big difference. Just like Defoe. Defoe just made two movements for his winning goal on Saturday. And, and that was Terry and, and Cal out of the picture completely. Just and They know what he's going to do but try and stop him. And the same with Robbie Kane. They know what Robbie Kane is trying to do but they won't be able to stop him. I remember Jack Charlton was asked, do you regret any of the players that you brought to any of the major tournaments? As in, would you have maybe made different decisions? And he said Frank Stapleton got a sulked in 1990. If Robbie Keane goes and doesn't play, you get the feeling he won't sulk. that he won't sulk. No. He'll still yeah. be a team guy. He's still there for Ireland. Frank Stapleton sulked even when he was in the team. <laughs> so, don't worry. <laughs> Didn't I play with Frank? Ah, oh, stop. Okay, well, do we we're hoping stop. we were no, hoping no. He, when he came in, sorry that he had scored for Arsenal on Saturday because if he hadn't, God knows what was going to happen. We'll stop you there. <laughs> Robbie Keane is a good lad to have around, even if he doesn't play, oh, and even Robbie, if he's Robbie, so lucky, he probably won't play. His attitude is yeah, wonderful okay. and has been. Look, 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 look at all the games that he flies home for. He doesn't, he doesn't want to miss a game. A bit like Shay Given, doesn't want to miss a game. And look, that's that's it. Very, very dedicated. Are you worried? Wonderful to see. Are you worried, Raf, that Martin O'Neill has yet to sign a new deal? It seems like he's holding out and seeing how we do in the Euros, which is quite understandable. It is no, understandable. Uh, Don't think it's understandable. You'll get your turn in a second. Well, well, you look at, for example, the Trapattoni situation, where, if memory serves me correct, he got a deal in the months leading up to that tournament, and obviously it didn't work out. We were kind of tied down to it. So, from our point of view. I don't see what's wrong. Um, I've heard a bit, a bit about interest from like Everton and places like that. Is that realistic, do you think, the interest from Everton and Nottingham Forest? I don't Forest? think so. Um, I'm not even sure where that really came from. Um, but to be honest, I'm not worried. Let's just see how the Euros go. And then after it, um, you know, John Delaney, the FAI, will sit down with them and they'll trash something out, I'm sure. But Paddy, Martin has said the players don't mind. They don't care that he hasn't signed a deal. Do you think no. that is correct? Yeah. No, no, no player is concerned about the manager. Like the manager on occasions might not be too concerned whether the player signed a contract or not, but certainly from 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 a player's perspective, 
you don't care whether he signs it or not. Yeah. You know, you, uh, if you like the manager, say, well, let's hope that he does. But you're not going to you're not going to be thinking about it. All Is this the time. more something that the fans are getting kind of nervous yes. about? Yeah, and the fans are and getting maybe a bit nervy, but maybe the, maybe the media want to go and write something that and 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 delve into something that really isn't there. Yeah. Now, Martin O'Neill, if he wants to go and sign the contract. Uh, will sign it at his own good time. So he's got. Do you, you know, think he's, he's right to hang time. on and see how we do in the Euros? If that's what he's doing, we don't know for certain. Yeah, I'm, I'm not so. I'm. I'm not so sure he should. He should be doing that. If, if that's his mindset, well, then I, I think that's wrong because either he sees a potential in, in in the group of players and potential with one or two players coming in, and and there, there are very few players coming through. Let's be very clear about that as well. But he he should be making his mind up one way or the other. As far as I would be concerned, either he's going to sign the contract. Or he's not going to sign the contract, and let him let him get it sorted out either before the Euros or after the Euros. But he, I don't think he should be waiting just to see how Ireland doing the Euros. Have his mind made up beforehand, and and he doesn't have to tell anybody what, he, what he's doing. You know, he can just keep that to himself. And then if he wants to sign it after, after afterwards, after the, the Euros are over, fine. But I don't think he should be just waiting to see how Ireland do in, in, in the Euros because that to me would be a negative attitude that he's not too sure how they're going to do. Now look at none of us. None of us are, are, are going to be one hundred percent sure, but we we we'd give a fair, we make a, a, a fair guess as to how they will do. And Raf, good news for Ireland over the weekend, and I feel bad saying good news because I never want to see a player injured. Yeah, but no, Vincent no, Company yeah. out for Belgium, and that is a big blow. Big blow for them. Is it as big a blow for Belgium as it would be for City when Company's not there? No, because like when you look at say that Tottenham team, who who are the centre halves, Jan Vertonghen and uh, Toby Alderweireld, two Belgian players that who do unfortunately for the Belgians get played at full back, but that's because they don't have any full backs. But there's that option at least for Mark Wilmots to put the two of them together in central defence. So it's not the end of the world for them. They do have like they do have plenty of central defensive options. Um, the other one that I actually want to bring up as well was Italy. They lost uh, Verratti and Marchisio, two of their best playmaking midfielders. That's going to be a massive blow for them. So it's the same thing as company. You don't wish it on them, but in a way it is good news for Ireland in a in a way that we're not having to put up, well, you know, to go up against players like that. Paddy, you had a good look at Alderweireld uh, and Alderweireld, sorry, and uh, Vertonghen. I'm glad you pronounced that. Well, says me trying to try to pronounce it. Vertonghen, yes, and and, and Spurs. Um, yeah, you had a good look at them. I just want to clarify: in the two-one defeat to Southampton, their third defeat in a row. Yeah, I I I had a, a better look at them. No, no, I had a better look at them against uh, West Brom when they when they only drew one each. Yeah, I was from that's where that's where the whole thing started. And you could go back as far as the Newcastle game when they got beaten at White Hart Lane earlier on the season. That has, really has come back to haunt them also. Yeah. But certainly the game against West Brom, they had no idea Spurs of what to do. And against Chelsea, they just totally imploded last Monday night. As a matter of fact, Pochettino. Uh, uh, was an absolute disgrace in the way that he set his team up and the way that they and the way that they carried on on the pitch. As in going they, in hard. Uh, no, not tackling. to go, not go in hard. Go in hard. Yeah. Go in as hard as you. So like. I heard Brian Kerr say over the weekend that people but, maybe are getting a bit wrapped up in this, and that Chelsea, when they were winning titles, didn't exactly go around saying, "No, Chelsea, Chelsea what a great team you are. Let's shake hands." Chelsea weren't were certainly not shrinking uh, violence. There's no no question about that. But totally out of character, what Spurs were doing. I mean, you had nine players booked. You had players going over the top. I, I'm not so sure they even knew they were going over the top in tackles. Uh, and, and it was just absolutely lunacy, the, the way that they, the way they behaved. As soon as Chelsea scored a goal, they just panicked and went. I mean, they're, lo- they're leading to nothing. Is that because of youth? Is it because of their manager? Is no, it it's, because, of- it's because of that Potocino didn't set them up. The previous, what happened was the previous Monday, they couldn't cope with, with, with West Brom. And West Brom were very easy to cope with. 
but they couldn't yeah. cope with the fact that all of a sudden they were they they, they were asked to do something that they hadn't been hadn't been asked to do maybe all season, and that was that the two full banks Walker and Rose couldn't get forward, yeah. because Sessegnon and, and, and McLean did the defensive job well, but that didn't stop the midfield players from getting on the ball and being creative. But all of a sudden, when they saw that the two full backs weren't getting forward, nothing nothing happened with with the midfield players. The Mel ended up all over the place. It was just absolutely. It was uh, I, I, Ericsson the same. I just I, I just couldn't believe what I was watching this in the West Brom match, and Potichina did nothing to change it, and that's why I, that's why I was so sure the last Monday night that Spurs were getting nothing yeah. out of out of out of out of Chelsea. And was it the same yesterday against uh, Southampton? And it, it was pretty. It was pretty much the same. They get they get again. They went one up one up, but it was a smashing individual call by Son. But again, they again they just folded. Yeah. And and this is you see this is the Spurs that. That I've known since 1961 when they last won the double. This is what happens to this, the, these Spurs teams that they just implode, yeah. and that's that's the worry going forward. Because what what hap- what they did what they achieved this year, they may not achieve anything like that next yeah. year. That's that's a concern. Doesn't matter whether United or City or or, or Arsenal or Chelsea yeah. or Liverpool and doesn't matter whether they they come back into the fold. The fact is that Spurs may not even get into the top six next season, and that's the concern. That when you have your opportunity. You must take it with both hands, and they didn't. But Leicester did. The team, everybody was saying that Leicester are going to lose their nerve. Leicester got stronger as the season went on, and Spurs lost their nerve, and that's the that's the big concern because Spurs have lost their nerve too many times over 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 the number yeah. of years. And Leicester celebrated in style at the weekend. For mm-hmm. Spurs, it could be time to say goodbye to second place, though, because Arsenal are breathing down their necks and a bad result next week. And an Arsenal win combined with an Arsenal win, I should say, will mean that Spurs will lose second place. Arsenal up against Aston Villa and Spurs are away to Newcastle. Yes. Well, it could all be done and dusted, Oshin, you yeah. see, because of the, of the game on Wednesday night. Uh, Sunderland Everton. Sunderland win on Wednesday night. That's Newcastle relegated. Yep. And that solves it. Villa are already gone. Norwich are, Norwich are in deep. Looks as if Norwich are gone as well. And Norwich are, Norwich are in deep trouble. Yeah. Yeah, well, the Arsenal-Tottenham thing... Given that I'm assuming Arsenal are going to finish at least third, like the finishing second or third doesn't matter on paper in terms of Champions League qualification. And they all get that. into the group. They both both get in. The only thing is bragging rights, and that probably means well, actually, in a way, maybe it does mean as much to Arsenal, particularly just with yeah. all the talk about Wenger as well. well. Well, Pochettino has said, look, let's not get wrapped up on where Arsenal are. We need to just concentrate on ourselves. And I guess if you offered Spurs a Champions League spot at the start of the season, they oh, would take, take it. it yeah. Gentlemen, just before I let you go, what about um, Manchester United? If they win their last two games, that's them leapfrogging City into the Champions League spot. Raf. That's a massive turnaround, given where they were at certain times of the season, and the fact, like they have improved, like clearly, but uh, not to the extent where you kind of put them in as top four uh, challengers or whatever like that. And that's all down to that's City's fault for folding the way they have and not really, you know, they've had one or two okay performances against teams that have already finished up, but other than that, you know, I watched a bit of the Arsenal game yesterday as well, and. You know, there's so much frailty in that team. Like that's what Pep, whenever he comes yeah. in, like he's a massive job, massive job in his hands. You'd be getting rid of an awful lot of players. That's all I know. Is he the man for this job? Um, I would, I would, I would question that. I'm not so sure that he's going to be the success that people think he will be in the in the Premier League. I think he's going to find, and especially at Manchester City, yeah. I think he's going to find it very, very difficult because he's going owners, to come up against an Atletico type pretty much oh, every other week, isn't and he? And the owners are head cases because to allow all of that money. Go uh, be wasted on on players who couldn't care less about their supporters, about the manager, about the club. 
because that's the way that I see yeah. Manchester City. They're, they're a thunder and disgrace the way they've behaved and, and, and the way they, they've behaved all season long. Never, mind the, never mind the Real Madrid. Their attitude, the attitude, 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 okay. attitude was despicable. Yeah. Absolutely disgraceful. Yeah. I mean, they're picking up their money every week. So, I mean, they should be giving value to the fans. And they're having, yeah. they, should, they, should have been, they should have been vying with Leicester to win that league title. Yeah. And, and, and they haven't. I know they're struggling to hold on to, on to, on to fourth position because they don't have the killer instinct. They don't have the wherewithal to go and, and finish teams off. They don't. Their attitude absolutely stinks. And you, you, you compare that with Leicester's attitude, which has been absolutely brilliant. And, and, and on top of that, a, a wonderful manager, Randy Airy, who knew exactly what to get out of his pairs, how to, how to handle his pairs at all times during the season. Yes. Magnificent. Fantastic. Just before I let you go, Paddy, SSE are Tristan League Dundalk winning again at the weekend, beating Galway United uh, 2-1 and they are top to the tune of four points. Yes, indeed. And, and, and you, you couldn't see them uh, being moved from there either, Oshin, even at this very early stage of the season with all due respects to the Cork cities of this world, the Derrys and, 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 uh, and St. Pat's and so on and, and, and Shamrock Rovers. But I think that Dundalk are going to best team, best team by far in the league. Raf Diallo and Paddy Mulligan, thanks for joining us on The Rewind here on News Talk. Now, in rowing, what a weekend it was for Paul and Gary O'Donovan who claimed gold in the lightweight double skulls at the European Championships in Germany, while Sunita Puspor finished third in the women's singles skulls final. Paul and Gary were in with Pat Kenny a little bit uh, earlier on. As they were leaving the studio, I kidnapped them and brought them to another studio and talked to them about their fantastic achievement and their preparations for the Olympics. Gentlemen, I'm going to get confused about this as I used to do with Ben and Jerry O'Connor, the cork hurler. So please don't be offended. But uh, who's who? I'm Gary. I'm older. I'm younger. Yeah, Gary's older. Paul's younger. Okay, so does that mean you get to answer the first question? Okay, go on. Okay, uh, <laughs> look, lads, talk to me about that fantastic win in Germany yesterday. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was very exciting. Uh, we were just off the back of a silver medal at the World Rowing Cup, the first World Rowing Cup of the year three weeks ago. So. Um, to come from a silver and then to get a gold medal at this regatta was brilliant. And also, last year we did the European Championships. We finished fifth. Um, so 12 months on to come up and to become European champions. It's fantastic. Paul, tell me about the actual race itself. Yeah, so... Um, we were quite I've looking got the right one, have I? You have, yeah. yeah. Good, okay. You um, we've been looking forward to it all week, really, to, to get the bit of racing going. It's a nice yeah. change from the training. Um we knew kind of coming into it really that the three favourites would be ourselves, Norway and the, the home crowd in Germany. So um, there was three heats and we were each seeded into a, a different heat and the three of us won our heats then. Ourselves in Germany then ended up in the, the same semi-final and they led us pretty much the, the entire way down the course until the last about 200 metres. We put in a massive sprint then and pipped them on the line by 0.18 of a second. And the Norwegians then came through the other semi-final and they had a quicker time than us. So we knew that they were definitely going to be in good shape. The wind then for the the Sunday morning, it was uh, picking up. So after looking at the forecast on Saturday, the organisers moved all the racing ahead an hour to try and take advantage of the better conditions. Um, But we knew that uh, the start would be very important because it was quite open up there and the wind was coming from the side. And it was uh, really technically challenging and uh, it was testing our oar handling skills and uh, just trying to stay in the boat really was was nearly an issue. But um, the Norwegians, I think, got out to the best start. The Germans were close on them then going through the 500 metres. I think we were sitting back in third, but not too far back. The plan was just kind of to hang on to them and not to to get too excited early on and and use up all our energy stores. Um, 
sport, we knew that because it was so technically challenging that physiologically it wasn't it wasn't too hard on the the muscles and the, the cardiovascular system and all that. So um, we knew then coming into the thousand meters that it got a bit calmer. So we knew that we'd have plenty of energy to be able to kick on from there. We held on quite well, and just after a thousand meters, we started to pull ahead of the Germans, which was um, in the race previous in the semi final. They had over a length leading us going through there, so we knew we were in a good position, and Norway were just ahead again. And then coming into the, the final 500 meters, then we were closing down the gap on Norway and edging slightly ahead of the Germans. Yeah. Uh, we knew we have a big sprint uh, the past kind of few weeks in training. We knew the boat had been responding well when we took up the the stroke rate and increased uh, the pressure then on the oars. So um, we were really kind of, I suppose, gearing up for that, for that really and was just getting the timing right for that. I think at the World Cup three weeks ago in Italy, we left it a bit too late to sprint and the South Africans held on then to beat us by 0.23 of a second. Yep. So I think we timed it better this time and once we started moving then we never stopped really and we burned through the Norwegians then with about 200 metres to go but the Germans were raising their stroke right then and closing on us. I heard Gary shouting and I, lo- I looked across and I saw that the Germans were coming so we, we stepped up another gear then and... Uh, we just held on then in front of Was he of shouting the, at that point, the Germans are coming, the Germans are coming? He was, yeah, the Germans, he was saying. <laughs> I was just shouting at him, I said, Germany! <laughs> and Paul looked and the Germans yeah. were coming at us and we just stepped it up another little notch to make sure we had the win. I suppose, you know, they had the home crowd as well, which was really yeah. kind of spurring them on, but uh, Joe was good to get one up on them there. I think Gary was saying um, yeah. he's been racing them for a good number of years in the double skull at under 23 level and bits like that, and yeah. he'd never beaten them. So he's relishing the opportunity the past few weeks to to take him on, and uh, it was nice he was saying to beat them then. Yeah, um, I guess as as fans of Irish teams who will go on to the Olympics, we only think about the Olympics and we don't follow week to week. But what you're doing at the moment and that fantastic win yesterday was that all part of the Olympic build up, or is it a case that this was a competition by itself, and that's what you were concentrating on? That's what you were thinking about. The Olympic build-up maybe is for a little bit later. I'm sure it's in the back of your mind. But yesterday was yesterday and that's that. And you can celebrate that as a fantastic win on its own. Yeah. Well, like, obviously, because it's an Olympic year, it's a very different year and it's a, it's a more special year. And everything we do uh, in training and in racing this year is all towards gearing to Rio. Everything, it's all going to culminate at the Olympic Games. But um, for this regatta, it was it's this wouldn't be the priority regatta this year. Yeah. The Olympic regatta is. So, um. To do well, like we're we're training hard, we're training through the regattas, and we're making huge efforts. Yeah. Like every day we go. And training. is that the same with everyone else? It put, it yeah. probably is, yeah. Like, like especially the crews that have qualified. There's crews yet to qualify, and they've there's a final chance qualifier in two weeks' time. Yeah. So some of them will be tapering and preparing for that. For example, the Dutch and the Belgians who were in our final as well. They finished fifth and sixth. Um, they'll be they'll probably be coming closer to form because they have to try and qualify it. Yeah. But for ourselves in Norway and Germany, we've all qualified, so I imagine they're probably doing something similar to us. What's your plan going to be from here on in? Because you've a couple of more races before, before the Olympics, and I guess you want to keep the form up. You don't want to be looking for form out of nowhere going into Rio. Uh, that's it, yeah. So we've um, two more World Cup regattas to do. There's the second one, which is in Lucerne in Switzerland in three weeks' time, and then there'll be the third World Cup then in Poznan, in the middle of June, so um, we're going to train reasonably hard coming into them. We won't be focused too much on the the end outcome. You know, we've had some good results and we've enjoyed them. 
but uh, we'll just kind of focus now on getting the most out of ourselves come Rio, really. Yeah. But uh, there's still a lot more crews to come into the picture. There's um, the world uh, champions and European champions from last year, France, and the silver medalists that both of those then, Great Britain, also missed uh, this regatta. Britain were due to enter, but I think uh, yeah. one of them suffered an injury. Um, which kept him out but uh, it's only a minor one so they'll be back uh, good and strong for Lucerne Paul has been competing for quite a long time Gary on his own and now you're in the double together yeah. I guess that helps you because rowing I imagine can be quite a lonely sport and quite a tough sport and we've seen that in the past with some of the famous British rowers the first mm-hmm. thing that the likes of Matthew Pinsent and Steve Redgrave have said when they've got out of the boat I think one of them famously said if I ever go near a boat again shoot me but, yeah. so that strikes me as, as something that, that that, I mean, he wouldn't have said that unless it was an incredibly tough sport to be a part of mm. and to work for. Yeah, well, like, Paul's been in the single for a long, long time. He's been very successful internationally in the single. I think uh, because he had, he's a few years younger than me, or he's a year and a half younger than me, he stayed at junior level as I progressed on to under-23. Um, and he'd been very successful. He finished fourth at the junior worlds, under-23 worlds, and senior world championships. And he also has a bronze medal from the under-23 world championships. So um, when we moved into the double, we knew we had a really good scholar in Paul and that... Uh, like I wasn't quite up to that standard at that at that stage, but being in the boat with him and learning from rowing with him, I've come on a huge amount. And yeah. um, like you're saying, it's a very individual sport as well. I mean, we we don't spend all our time in the double together. We actually do a lot of training in single skulls. Yeah. So we can we can compete against each other in training, and it it, it adds to the intensity and. But are you always around each other when training? Pretty much, yeah. 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 And has that always been the case? Um, yeah, well, for the past year, we've spent a huge amount of time together, especially we on training and is that camps. Better for you? Um, well, it's been a big change, I suppose. It's I I have enjoyed doing it definitely for sure. Um, but it kind of comes with its own challenges too. We get a it bit does. we get a bit fed up with each other from time to time. Um, I think just last week, I think it was Friday or Saturday, the week before the European Championships, we had a massive argument. Um, in the boat shed there before going training it was over something so small I think the balance was tipping to one side yeah. when we were out training and the two literally of us, yeah, yeah I it thought was it was so yeah we, I think the two of us were a bit fearful that there was steps going to be thrown yeah. at one stage we managed okay. to refrain we from after, that but we were, um, we were after a lot of training and yeah. we were tired and cranky and the regatta was coming up and we were excited about that and we stormed off anyway and said <laughs> we're, we're not rowing with each other we again we to ride each other for a while we were lucky actually yeah. um, Nissan we're both ambassadors for Nissan so we have um, a car each from them so we were able to go our separate ways for an hour or two and um, <laughs> we came back anyway together um, that evening and we, we kind of sorted out those issues some bits so. okay. <laughs> Gentlemen I'm sure a few rows but a lot of training and hard work to do before Rio yeah. and of course the other upcoming events I really appreciate your time because you were in with Pat Kenny and I nabbed you on the way out of studio so I really do appreciate you stopping to talk and uh, the very best of luck uh, for the future but look massive congratulations for what you achieved Thanks over the you. weekend sure. Thanks Oshin Paul and Gary O'Donovan who dropped in to uh, talk to us about the European title that they won over the weekend in the lightweight double skulls. Well, that's it for the Rewind this week. Don't forget we're back next Monday with a reaction to the final weekend in the Premier League. Don't forget they'll have live coverage across the weekend on Off The Ball. Well, I say across the weekend, all the games going on on Sunday. If uh, you're a News Talk Breakfast listener, I'll talk to you tomorrow morning just before half seven or just before half eight. And don't forget the SSE or Tricity League podcast with Richie and I out this Wednesday afternoon among our guests this week new Limerick FC honorary president Tony Ward who'll talk to us about his new position and winning a cup with the Shannon Siders in 1982 until then take care good luck